Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 83. If someone were to ask you if you wanted to triple the value of your business, would you say yes? Well, on the show today, we talk about significant ways to increase the value of your business, create reoccurring revenue, and to remove yourself from the bottleneck. Today's guest name is Lauren Horsager, who is the CEO and co-founder of Mobile Composer. He has been in the software development world for 25 years, and what he specializes in is in niche development products for companies and owners who have a customer base and who are able to mine their business and industry for unique opportunities to create create a software solution that enables their business to be in the technology game and to deliver additional products and services to people they know, industries that they are already familiar with. Because at the end of the day, we know as business owners that we want to create a valuable company that's competitive, that's beating out our competition because we will be more appealing for a future buyer. And when we really boil it down, when we look at how our businesses are valued, most industries and most companies are valued on a multiple of EBITDA or profits. And the software business is valued on a multiple of revenue generally. So if you combine your business with a software enabled service, you're changing the game about how your company operates, the value you bring to your customers, all the different wider range of buyers that could potentially be on the forefront, and you're having a blast in the meantime. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Lauren. He gives a lot of practical ways that you can actually implement this and start exploring if this is something that is worth pursuing along your journey of growing and exiting your company. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Lauren, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Ryan? Doing good. I'm excited to have you on the show because you're a good friend and uh, we'll be able to talk about a lot of the stuff that you and I have been chatting about for years. And uh, for the listeners, as right before you dive into you know your background, who you are, but I'll have to give a little bit of a shout out that as you and I were sitting over beers and talking about what we should be doing with our lives a few years ago, you had really challenged me to get into this whole value building, exit planning journey that I learned a lot from selling our business, but uh, it really pushed me toward, towards actually making a, a business out of it, and which resulted in the podcast. But so before we could dive into the whole the full story, why don't you just give the listeners a little bit of a background of where you came from and then how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I've been uh, a software consultant for 25 years. And so I've uh, worked at a lot of you know, large corporations and small businesses, mid-sized businesses. The great thing about it was you got to see a lot of different industries. You got to see what worked, what didn't work, uh, who's ahead, who's behind, all those kind of things. So it was a great learning experience for understanding not just technology, but business problems and how people were approaching them. Um, so I ultimately, you know, I have an economics degree. So it, I come at it from a business perspective, even though it was implementing technology, which is really fun. So uh, with that, um, that really led me down this path of uh, the last 10 years or so, seeing a lot of mobile development happening. And it, it's really interesting how it was really different than um, previ- previously how development happened in a lot of these companies. Um, there are lots of challenges around who was leading it. 
a lot of times marketing or sales were leading it, not technology um, or IT, which was really interesting. Things move really fast, but didn't always get to where a good place uh, <laughs> very quickly. So uh, we just learned a lot about that process, which led uh, led me to develop Mobile Composer about five years ago. And so we actually focused on building a platform to make implementing technology easier. Uh, so we have a platform that has really, there's three main areas. So one is the technology piece of this, which is all the tools and libraries to actually improve development. So both web development and mobile development. So you can kind of plug things together and, and build a new product quite easily. There's lots of still custom pieces that have to get developed. But one of the things I like to talk about is it, like security. Security is one of those things from a developer's perspective. It gets done on every single project. And it's just ridiculous because you do it exactly the same way or you should do it the exact same way every time. So if we built those things into a package that we use and then there's really two choices. Do you want to use Active Directory? Do you want to use database security? So we, we can implement either of those options, but that's really your choice, right? You shouldn't spend 50% of every project rebuilding the same stuff. So that's the technical heart of our platform. We also then have all the pieces to manage uh, a product lifecycle in there. So everything from how you, you generate ideas and validate ideas to how do you develop a go-to-market strategy, how you actually do your, your design, your user experience, and then all the development, project management, and maintenance um, long-term to support that. And then this includes all the best practices so that you can actually make sure that you're continuing to, you know, we're applying something from one industry to another. Make sure that this is the way you you develop these ideas. Well, what I think is super interesting, because you've pivoted it a couple of times as you've, you've gotten to the point where you realize that what you had developed there. And, it, you know, so for the, the layman's uh, people who are maybe not familiar with some of the technical stuff, it's like, you know, the WordPress came out to make, you know, developing websites easier because every time you build a website, there's a lot of the core functionality. And a lot of industries have done this over, you know, their growth of their industry as they've systematized and standardized certain parts of the deliverables because, again, like you said, you don't have to recreate the wheel. And so, and as you've made this shift and you've started to realize how technology has become easier, you know, it maybe, yeah, because the, the whole point of, you know, having you on the show and understanding, you know, what the value that you're bringing for these businesses and the values of these businesses, it start to maybe give the listeners a two cents on what are the conversations happening and where are the, what's the dialogue going on about how you guys fit into your customer? Well, so that actually leads into why we pivoted. So we actually, we built the platform initially, and then we built a product on top of it. And what we've learned over the years is we're really good at figuring out how to develop products, how to how to find the right market, how to identify what the product should look like, and, and how to uh, actually bring that to market. So we've kind of pivoted and pivoted back, actually, um, but with a lot more understanding of what, what the platform needs to do. So the conversations now uh, really revolve around um, well, first of all, who we're talking to. So we tend to talk to small to mid-sized company uh, own, own business owners who are really stuck in a situation that um, they have a, a business that they've built, you know, uh, over years, and it's potentially a really good business, but the valuation is not where they want it to be or where they think it is. And I just think that, you know, this actually leads into. You and I both read Built to Sell about the same time when when you were kind of figuring out some of these things out and we were figuring some of these things out. And I just think it, it's really uh, the eight key drivers in there really identified 
a need in the market to actually approach what you're bringing to market. So it's one thing to create a valuable business or a business. As an example, you know, I have a friend that he has a manufacturing company. It's worth about $5 million in, in or it has about $5 million in revenue, does about 10% profit, so half a million dollars in profit. What's the value of that company? Well, it turns out it's not very high. The I think from your estimations, I think the valuation would be about one to two times the EBITDA. So 500 to a million roughly that that business is worth. Well, he can't sell the business and maintain his lifestyle based on a company that's actually producing a half million dollars a year. So when we talk about these things, it's really about how do you actually find a market that you can develop recurring revenue for an existing company. And so that's what we come in and look for. And, and so our method of doing that is to look at SaaS solutions. So software as a service that you can have a subscription service that you're providing to potentially the same customers that they're already working with mm-hmm. because you already have trust. You already have a relationship. You already understand some of the needs they have that and, and understand the gaps in those markets. So we can actually help develop a niche SaaS solution that actually targets these um, their customers and help them build out that solution. If you're a normal business owner and you're looking at this, what does it mean to them, to their business? Do you have some stories or some examples of how people have implemented this? Sure. So l- let me tell you about a sales training company that we work with. And so this would be in the service realm, right? So they're a service company, they're non-technical, and they go out and provide sales training to organizations and they're really good at it. Um, but their challenge is, what is the value of that company? Well, it, it's not great because without each of those individual people, the company's worth nothing, right? So without their, it's a small team. Without that team, the company's worth nothing. So Right, because they consult and they just go out and just every single, it's project-based, right? So they're going out, they're getting a client, they're doing some sales implementation and training, and then they have to hopefully re- get the repeat business, right? Exactly. So it's completely project-based. So their need is really to generate recurring revenue and to pull them out of the process, right? So what we did for them is uh, basically went through and, and you know, as, as you think about part of the process, what we did is they, they identified that they wanted to build recurring revenue and figure out how to actually get, um, you, you know, provide something that, that would pro- build the recurring revenue. Well, we actually sat down and started talking through this. And what we really have to come from is from the perspective of the end user that's going to be using this, so the salesperson that they're training. And we then designed a solution around this and, and then built the product. So there's a mobile app that they can actually provide. So there's an additional fee. Now they go in and sell a project, but they also sell the ongoing um, the app and, and all the tools and content that come with that. Now they can be more focused in instead of going out and doing a project, just maintaining and building additional information that's going to go into the app and then the tool, you know, continuing to build the tool and the functionality of the tool for what that provides for those salespeople. But now they're locked in. They have, you know, it would be very hard next year. They want to go with a different sales trainer. That's not really a doable solution because this is now part of their day-to-day process for all their salespeople. So they're locked in plus they're building a recurring revenue stream based on this. So the process for this, you know, is, is we come alongside them and work with them to actually build this. They have the industry expertise and the business knowledge. We come along with that and provide our technical knowledge and business knowledge of how to implement something like this. So they have no technical people in their company. So we provide all the technology piece of this, but now they're providing a software product um, to their customers that 
is providing this recurring revenue. And their value of their business goes way up and they remove themselves from the process and everybody's a lot happier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But but it's a you know that that whole process can be a little scary maybe if people haven't gone through it. But they they do not have the technical resources, but they can come along and actually build something recurring, build something of high value um, that actually gets them where they want to be with the business using someone like us to actually, you know, provide the technical know-how to do that. So then let's, is you, you, you've got another example that you can kind of shed some light on and how maybe a different industry has implemented something that, you know, they, you know, had expanded their services or been able to become more technology enabled. So this is a little bit different scenario. It, it's not so much about building recurring revenue, but how software product can actually change how, what you, how you're the growth of your business. So we just, completed this product that actually went went live here a couple weeks ago. And it's a, a medical company that builds custom formulated um, nutrient products based on specific cases. So what happens is um, a patient goes to a clinic and they do all their tests. And then that data goes to a lab. The lab and the clinic have all the HIPAA processes to actually pass that data back and forth. But there's no great process for passing that data then to this company to actually formulate the right product. Yep. So what we did was build a mobile app that actually allows them to just scan a QR code that came from the lab. It has all the data they need, but it has none of the HIPAA data. So the cool thing about this, it gives this company, basically they're now connected with all the labs in the country that do this. And they're the preferred vendor for, for this product because they've made it so easy to work with them. So their growth model is, to now provide this through through all the labs in the country because um, they have the solution to make that work. How is what they used to experience with the custom coding and development different to what is available today, and how does that actually change their their business? Well, I, I think it's interesting. A, a change that's happened in technology is we've we've gotten faster and faster and faster and w so we use some new you know there's new agile you know different terms and different processes that have increased the speed there's better technology better ways to develop things that, that's 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 great but in some cases it's actually a bad thing because there there needs to be the strategy piece that works with this and and all the processes like I, I'm a really big believer in the lean methodology like lean startup methodology for creating ideas and creating products because you actually need feedback in these mechanisms. So this is what we saw in just doing mobile development, you know, five, 10 years ago, marketing was leading these efforts and they did not have the, the, the technical chops to actually manage a project this way. So this is exactly why a lot of companies are scared to do something like this as well, because they don't necessarily have the experience doing this, right? So the, the challenge is, and I see this way too often is that they work on a product and it might be a really good idea, but it's usually not the idea you started with. I can, it's almost never the idea you started with. So you need to be able to change and manage that. So people have a budget that says, I'm going to spend, you know, $300,000 building this app. And then when it's done, we're going to sell it and we're going to make money. <laughs> well, the problem is they're off just a little bit and they can't sell that app to anybody. So now they don't have any budget left, though, to make the changes that could actually make it a really good product. We see that all the time. 
Um, so th- I well, think again, that's it was like, interesting. like, I think, well, sorry to interrupt, but let's go back to like all, like, you know, maybe we can resonate with some of the listeners here where it was a manufacturing company that wanted to, that went online and they wanted to have an ordering POS system that's integrated online and they spend a half a million dollars on it and then no one liked it. Or like there was a, some sort of other, you know, delivery system or so, so there's all these different functions that I've watched people spend tons of money on and didn't have any exposure, it took years and tons of head and the developers and the technical people never knew what they were trying to get across and then it totally flops the first time and so how does that relate to what you well well, so i think i guess back to the point like how do you actually solve that problem i think there's two things so one is there's the methodology so you have to use like i'm a big fan of the lean 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 methodology because you actually need to do incremental development and then prove that out so the validation part of that is really really important so how do you get feedback from actual people that are potentially going to pay you money and can you get them to commit to you before you even have something developed by showing them so much value in what you're creating and then they can contribute some to actually providing you, know, you go talk to them you say we want to do this and it's going to help you with this problem it's like yeah but that's not quite my problem here's my problem and they'll help you identify it and help you make it better um expand on that expand on that story would you Expand on that story because I think you've had a ton of experience on this and I've gone through some of this in my own experience, the right and the wrong way, but maybe elaborate (laughs) and tell (laughs) All right. Well, Uh, can I use you as the example? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, I I mean, I think it's the same process and it's not to say that people aren't good or or, or taking the right effort, right? It's just a process that has to be followed through. So we're working on the app for for your business, right, to to manage um, accounts and, and manage the growth plans and actually manage day-to-day business activities to actually grow and build and exit a business, right? So that was a little bit of an unknown. Like sometimes you're dealing with something that really is not out there. And so how do you do this in a way that that actually gets us to the solution? Well, we now know decisions we made a year ago are not valid anymore. And we've had to modify and continue to improve and change what we're developing because of the feedback we get. And that's how it should go. That should be the process. So this is why people talk about building a minimum viable product. And the the I, I, sometimes you need more than uh, like a minimum viable product can be a pretty big thing sometimes um, when you're talking business to business kind of tools. But it still is important to to get to where you're solving this one problem. And now you might come back and change it. You almost certainly will come back and change that. And you need to plan a budget for that. That, that the product is not a static thing that you build once and you're done and you walk away from. So back to the point of you know, using the right methodology, the second piece is having the right team that's going to not only develop it, but, but maintain it. So this is where we come in that we actually do truly partner with people. So, and that can mean a lot of things which we can talk about in a little bit, but we actually come alongside and know that we're going to be responsible for maintaining this as we develop it. So we actually want to design and maintaining can be evolving as well, right? So how do you evolve this product as we go forward? So we actually design things in a way that we want to be able to maintain it and 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 get paid for that because we're making smart decisions and making sure that we can continue to evolve and improve that product. 
Well, and I think, you know, if I can go back to the methodology and then I'll uh, uh, jump in on the, the team because the, so the methodology and what you were explaining, I, you know, I think everybody can do this in their business, which, you know, I, that's how the the copier business got into the managed IT, got into the software because you and I think, you know, we were almost doing it. A lot of industries, the consultants tell the industry what they should be doing instead of asking the customer. And I think right. <laughs> in so many people where all the consultants make a ton of money in the industry because they say you need to do this and then you go back and you realize that your customer doesn't even want it. But like in this fashion, you know, I think you've got plenty of other examples, but it's everybody's able to actually do this where they go ask their customers and whether they're in professional services, whether it's accounting, legal, whatever it is that they've got the ability to ask their customers, like, how could your experience be better? And what are the different ways that it could be better? And every their customers have really good ideas. So there's opportunities to be mined out of that. And I've seen people and there uh, that some of the listeners might see it on the the digital marketing that's out there where like these people get crazy followers, you know, and then they'll ask their customers in their list, like, hey, would you buy this if I develop this? And people go, Yeah, do it. <laughs> so that's a lot right. of, because you're getting some seed funding or some buy-in, knowing that your idea is at least in the right direction. It's kind of like the whole cannonball and bullets theory from uh, Jim Collins, good to great. Yeah. But so I, I think you made a good point that no consultant can tell you what the right, right features are, the right functionality or the right thing your customers can tell you. And the great thing about like, we, we do some work with startups, but mostly we're working with existing companies that have products or services that they're offering. So they already have customers and we really want to be working on making sure we're meeting those same customers needs. So it's really about growing within those customers. And that's not always the case, but a lot of times. So the goal is go talk to your customers and get feedback. It's a really fun process. Um, I, one thing that I hear about, out of that, people are afraid of sharing their ideas because they think someone's going to take them. I, I, I'm, I think that's completely the wrong approach. Now, there's people I wouldn't share certain ideas with. But for the most part, the best thing to do is to go share your ideas with as many people as possible. And they're going to provide feedback. And that feedback, you need to be cautious about it because people can derail what you're trying to do as well by by going taking you down the wrong path. But you need to take the collective of that feedback and then work towards a solution that can actually solve those those issues that came up as you talk to customers. So then it's a really fun process yeah. and it gets you to a really valuable place very quickly. Well, yeah, because I mean, like you're actually you have immediate feedback on whether you're right or the wrong direction and you're getting feedback from the people that are going to pay you. And right. so let, let's go back to then my my kind of insight on the, the the right team. And I think you've got some really good examples you can share where so. What I've experienced in projects in my past, um, whether we were the actual software company coming in because we were the, the software vendor at that point, or we were in turn at, at being a part of the purchaser and being the client buying it, where you have the idea and then you've got the technical people and then you've got scope creep and you've got people like that whole process. I think everybody can relate, even if it's just an accounting system, like it so never works out the right way. So there's so much horrible experiences and fear and how does the right team and how do you combine the technical and the development of that to the strategy and to the vision? I, I think that in my mind, what I've always taken approach is, People like like development is a hard uh, uh, something that people can conceptualize that there's time that needs to go into development. And so they allocate a whole bunch of the project to that and they want to get going on that as soon as possible. I think instead the the approach should be don't like push development as far off as you possibly can and instead focus on these conversations, the research, the 
getting feedback, the the design, um, getting feedback on design, um, because essentially you can get to a point where you have a product on paper that's fully designed, fully you know ready to implement that is not developed, but you can actually go sell that that way. Um, I know a lot of people who have started companies that had no product to sell and they went out and sold it and said, here, will you buy this? And they'll sign up customers and then they can go build the product. So if you have that, development flows pretty easily because um, so you don't get off base because everything's been defined pretty much up, up front in the process of designing the product. If you don't do that, that's where you get into all sorts of issues because developers go off and develop something that wasn't what was designed because there was nothing designed. So it's, you, you tell a developer, hey, I need a page to do this. And they go off and create it. And it's like, well, that doesn't meet our brand. That doesn't meet our functionality. That doesn't meet anything. So you now wasted a whole bunch of time on that. And mm-hmm. that's really, really common, right? Mm-hmm. And it gets way more complex when you're integrating with other systems. So if you're building something that's going to integrate with an ERP system, you're going to integrate with some other system. It, it, it just complicates that so much more. So the more you have identified and bought in at all levels from internal to external to customers and stuff, the easier that process will go. At the same time, you have to balance that with you're going to always be learning. So there are times to say, this is what we planned. We need to make a, a change to that and, and modify how we're going to deliver that. But that needs to be a conscious thing. Too often, that's, that's just because something didn't get designed that that happens versus a conscious effort to say, we're actually making a decision to change how we're approaching this because of what we've learned. Mm-hmm. So what uh, I, you know, because I was giving you some, I was interjecting a little bit. So you had the two things that were really important. Was there a third or did I distract you too much? Oh, I think it was just the two. So then let's go into maybe some examples. Uh, you know, what are some exact examples of something where there was a analog business or a traditional business, whether it was a manufacturer or I know you've got some transportation things in the works and some other, di- like these business owners that they're saying, okay, what is it? What is an exact example of a problem that they would be able to solve that it could be an opportunity within their own client base? Yeah. So uh, another example would be a sewer and drain company that, that we work with. So basically uh, their solution, they currently, they're large, they're in multiple cities and they actually have products that um, they use a lot of different technology products to, to run their business. The problem is none of them are specific to their industry. And this is where we talk about, talk about niche SaaS solutions. There's lots of good technology products out there, but they might not be good for you, right? Um, so the challenge is in this industry, can we provide a better solution that, number one, provides a lot better service um, and a lot better uh, at communicating that service to, to their customers? Um, which is always a struggle in that industry, um, as well as actually getting better data collected so they, they understand how long is this call going to take, what does this situation look like. Um, so there's very specific pieces that happen in this industry that aren't tracked well in a standard product. So with them, they're building a solution that actually allows them to run their business better, and that provides a lot of value in and of itself. But they're actually looking at this as once they get this done, they want to take this to market because it's going to be the industry solution for their industry. And they know it inside and out. And, they, and they're also recognized that they know it inside and out. They can provide that to other smaller um, organizations in their industry. And so they're competing kind of on their traditional business, but they're, they're, they're providing their leadership 
and their technology then to other companies through this product. So you're saying some guy in a bunch of rubber boots that comes down with this big snake to do my <laughs> to do my sewer draining and has the carbon copy paper it can actually have some information and make my experience as a customer a little bit better and they make their company more valuable and then they can go sell that product and service to other industry uh, service providers. <laughs> right. So, so things that we're including, like hey, what is the frustration with working with someone like that? Well, when are they going to show up, right? So what if you, you actually, we have a customer-based app and a, a, um, a delivery person's app, the, the service person, so they have their own app, but what if you got updates on your app that are telling you, hey, they're going to be here in 10 minutes, and that was a real number that, you know, it's not like, hey, give us a four-hour window and we'll be there sometime, <laughs> right? right. So, so you can actually see when they're coming, it's like, okay, I need to be here in 10 minutes. Well, how about even for like, I'm just sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's like, how about even for the guy that like, because my old, my first house that I had, I had to do this a lot actually. And he'd come in, he'd <laughs> tranche through the house, he'd come and he, he has no idea that it's downstairs and it's a super small stairwell and that he, he could potentially go out through the back. So, I mean, like the whole thing was literally a cluster from start to finish and you hate every minute of it. Yeah, exactly. So now though, once, once you're a customer, now they keep that data. So the next person that comes, even if it's not the same person. He can look at that history and say, oh, here, I need to go in the back and here's where the, here's where these pipes are. Here's where this is that I need to go, you know, where I need to go do this job. So all that can be collected and saved and reused in, and it's all provided to him right through the app. So it's in real time because it's not paper documents that were printed out that morning or the night before or something. It's, here it is. It's updated live in the app and it gives me everything I need to know as well as it gives me everything I need to know training wise, like certain things you run into situations. And this is, this is something we build into a lot of our app. The training aspect, real-time, just-in-time training is a really important aspect of a lot of these tools because now I'm out there doing something and, and I get stuck on something. So what are those things you get stuck on? Let's record a little uh, you know, 30-second video and explain how you need to do this in this situation. And that person can then go through that process while they're on site and have a very effective delivery or service call that actually makes them look really good, and they were able to complete it, complete it in one shot, right? Yeah, they're at the the service technician enjoys himself because he looks good. He's not bumbling through a bunch of stuff, and everybody, yeah, no, it's it, everybody gets a better experience. And I, one more thing to mention there, um, another thing that I think is very useful is the business model canvas. So this is a process we use as we're trying to identify business models. So I always start with the audience because I like to figure out. Who, who are you actually touching in what ways? Because you end up finding things that you will not, um, it, it's not always obvious until you bring this up with people and, and say, okay, you're, you're going to provide this, or they, this people, these people need to integrate with this system. One, you want to make it really easy for them to do that. But two, what's the, what are the values that they're getting out of the system that, that actually adds something to them so they want to keep coming back and using it, whether they're paying for it or, or just they need it as part of some of their service that's free or whatever it is, they have to want to use it. And so if you make everybody along the way want to use it for the right reasons for what they're doing, now you can also start to identify other financial markets of what are they willing to spend to do this and why would they spend that money? And you can find additional opportunities, like in this case, where we needed to find someone else to actually pay for it. And I think we have a solution for it and we have a long ways to go on that one, but that it's interesting when you see it. So we use Business Model Canvas next, which is I don't know if you've seen this, Ryan, but it, it's basically a one-page document that lays out, I believe, there's nine different factors. Um, so it's everything from your client relationships, your cost centers, your revenue centers, and it, there's a good book out on this as well. But 
Um, you can find a lot of information on the internet, but it's basically a way of kind of laying out your model for this product and really in one page fully capturing it. And the concept is along with lean startup methods, you, you fill out this one page and go share this with people and go walk through it. And you're always editing it, always editing it. And you're refining until you actually get to your business model that can make this work. Well, and I love it. And it, maybe I'll give you a couple real concrete examples from people that have been on this show. So uh, Josh Elzechi, he was a digital marketer, which is a service-based business. So Josh gave a p- specific example on like, it's not as sellable because the business is not worth as much because it's people-oriented. It's not as scalable. There's a lot of these risks. So he went out and then through some of the research and stuff like you were talking about, he said, okay, well, I needed to develop a marketing audit based system and then he integrated into the into the client so he ended up creating this software because he then was allowed to scale and create more value to their customers but he created more value to his business and then he was able to piece it off and then sell it to other agencies and i think there was another example that you and i have uh, been looking out there and it was um the name escapes me, but there was a company that they were in the garage door business or the HVAC business. They created their own, they, they had problems with dispatching and their customers and the communication, all this. And then they created a dispatch marketing or a dispatch software to help with their technicians and the user experience with having to in, engage with their service technicians. And then they were able to go into the garage door, the, the plumbing, and I think the HVAC. And then they ended up taking that and then selling it to other service providers. So it was a way of, like you said, it, it started small, but they were able to continue to refine it along the way. Right. Plus, if you can identify up front one customer, that one one audience that's really, really going to be, you know, is going to like love this product, it adds value to them. You can now start to build on that and expand out to other audiences and other ways of using it. But you really have to narrow down one to start with. If you try to approach more than that, you're going to end up with a product that doesn't make anybody happy. So let's let's you know, expand on that and when it relates to the business value and how does that impact, you know, so when we look at like, you know, the investment costs and whether there's, you know, there's risk and whether that succeeds or not. And like how, you know, when you're talking about the business or the built to sell methodology, you know, where, what is it doing to the businesses and how are they able to, you know, protect their business and increase the return that they get based on what they're doing through this process? Well, I I think a couple things. One, one is recurring revenue can completely change your valuation, right? So back to the example I gave earlier, you know, five million dollar manufacturing company, ten percent profit is worth between five hundred thousand and a million dollars. Well, our goal with them is we're looking at creating a product that, if we can get over the next three years to a million dollars in sales for this SaaS product, the valuation, the way of valuing SaaS based revenue. Is about it right now. It's running about five to six times revenue generally. So if we can add a million dollars of of SaaS revenue to this, they go from five million dollars to six million dollars in sales. But they go from a valuation <laughs> of between half a million dollars and a million dollars to say five to seven million dollars in, in value. So let's. Say, I know it's, it's wild when we actually talk about it because like so for the listeners that might have a traditional business versus a lot of the, the SaaS and the software businesses that are out there, I've had multiple people on the, on the show and it's, it, it, it's can quickly get overlooked if we don't expand on it is that so when you're valuing a company on three to five times EBITDA or the, pre, you know, the, 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 the profit. So that could be again, like on a half a million bucks. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 2 million bucks, but what happens is that's on profit. Right. So that's based on profit, even though they might be a $5 million revenue business. 
totally off the uh, off the different end of the spectrum is software companies that are valued on revenue. <laughs> Not, right. not profit, which is so crazy. And I, I, I was given this example, Lauren, in front of a group the other day where, so Amazon is technically an online retailer, right? So they trade on a multiple of revenue versus all the other traditional retailers that trade on a multiple of profit, which doesn't make it, they're playing different games at that point. So right. they're getting value in completely different, in completely different ways. But this is why every company needs to be a software company going forward. <laughs> so the the one other interesting thing here, um, and you've brought this up a few times previously when we've talked, is in built to sell the whole hub spoke uh, hub and spoke method of, of management, where everything runs through. You know, business owner created this, and they're running everything, and everything runs through them. Well, when it comes time to sell the value of that business degrades a lot because it's not sustainable necessarily without them there. So the value of building a, a separate software solution, usually that will um, help in reduce it. That, that ends up being pushed to a different group or different people managing it. And so you've now spread out some of that, that responsibility, which a buyer is generally looking for in how they value your company. Well, I think there's a really interesting example that um, if anybody's in the managed IT services space, so there was a managed IT company years and years ago that was sick of the break fix. And so they started developing software to help do all the stuff preventatively. Well, they started also working on the standard operating procedures and all that stuff. So they started putting their stuff into a system. They know, they called it ConnectWise. And they essentially, their managed IT part of the business became the least valuable and they kept it as like a beta. But then they ended up taking that that software, which has grown like crazy and selling it to every other managed IT provider. So it's, it, it's and I don't know what is out there, Lauren, because I know that you and I have read the books like bold and abundance and exponential organizations and all these books that have, you know, talking about this, that, you know, you have to have technology enabled services these days. So like, uh, you know, how are you layering in technology into your operations? I think it's just something scary, especially when someone's looking at, you know, a three to seven year runway before they want to get out, you know, how do you measure the increase in value and the investment cost or the cash flow expense over the, the course. I mean, you're, cause I know you've got some interesting ways in how you're lining all that up to be able to show the value there. Yeah. So we're taking a little different approach because um, we want to be fully invested in what we're, what we're building and we want to maintain that long-term. So we're actually working with organizations to actually take an equity stake in return for for some of our efforts so that we're fully committed into long term into developing us all the way to the point where what's really been fun for me the last six months has been we've been getting involved in a lot of early cases before we're even investing in this or, or starting development for something we're out talking to investors not that we're looking for investors for these problems but we're we want them to buy this in three to five years. And so we're actually letting them help. You know, they're, they're giving us guidance on how they want to structure things so that we can actually potentially, and there's no commitment right now, but they can potentially, we can potentially have a buyer lined up three to five years out that as you know, if we hit these targets, here's the expectation of how we're going to do this. Here's what the value is going to be. And, and here's the exit plan. So not only is it helping define like, the value of building the software piece of it, but it's really helping define the value and a plan to actually get to an ex or an owner overall. 
Well, and, and it's like when you think about the investment that you're, because, you know, the reoccurring revenue and all the stuff that's in the build, so all the different eight key drivers are all intertwined. And it's about building a sustainable machine that runs without you, that is easily transferable. And the best way to do that is through technology. And I think there's just so much fear around, you know, how are we, you know, taking our business in the traditional sense and systematizing and not just creating, you know, you know, word docs with, you know, to do's and bullet points, so, but actually taking the processes and automating them. And then, you know, how much does that cost? So hypothetically, let's go back to that manufacturer. So let's say, you know, they've got 500 in EBITDA and they invest, you know, call it a hundred grand a year or something for the next three years, or, mm -hmm. you know, and they've got, you know, some other you know, partnership on this, that return should be significant because <laughs> let's say they got a half a million bucks and they should, they should get another, you know, three million to four or five million dollars out of it when they eventually exit. So there's a direct return based on what they're what they're putting into the business. Yeah, and it's a big multiple of the return. Yep. So what are the you know when you think about like what the business business owners these days? Yeah, because I think it's a big black box and it's very mysterious on technology and apps and development because it's so foreign based on the the. The customer service relationships and service delivery that a lot of companies have. How are you, what you're describing, how is that different than an ERP system, than marketing budgets, than CRM budgets, than all that other stuff? So you can you kind of you know spread that into, okay, so you've got all this other technology spend that happens no matter what, and how does that differ from what you're explaining? Well, I think any of those are, are tools to run your business. What we're talking about is value creation through building new products and ideas that you're actually selling in the market. So this is not a support solution. This is 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 a solution you're going to take to market to add value to to your customers. So that's the big difference. And so the the scary part, I, I realize, you know, everybody manages their ERP system, all these other systems, and it can become a very scary process. IT is always a bad word in my in my world. So we try to avoid IT as much as possible. This is where I think the approach is whoever you're partnering with to do this, that, like making sure that they're on board to not only help create something, but looking at this long-term about how you're going to support that and making sure that that support is built in up front. Because um, I, I've seen cases where you say, hey, let's let's go build this. And we spent our half million dollars developing a product. And now, yeah, we'll, we'll do support, but we designed this poorly. So the support cost goes way, way, way up. And you just can't maintain that without getting to a critical number of customers using that product and paying for that product. So all of these things go hand in hand. And if if you're not truly on the same team trying to make the right financial decisions, business decisions, market decisions, and technology decisions, it it's you're, you you can't really get there. So the difference is if you're implementing an, an ERP system, you have a team, maybe you're, you bring in some outside consultants, whatever, and you do that. There's challenges with that, but it's all to support your business. It's a much different, it's a cost center still, right? right. So yes, you need it to, to continue operating your business, but it's still a cost center that, and there's a different mentality around that. The same people that operate that process are not who should be developing your products. Well, it's yeah, a I mean, different mindset. Yeah, you're creating a value creation center, which is a value creation for the customers and for your for your you know eventual value of the business. So you know when you think about so you know some of the listeners are familiar with like the traction approach, and if you know it's you got this visionary, you got the the different roles of the integrator and the different management levels. What are the who's crucial as for part of the team, and like how does the visionary and the owner integrate with this? 
and how do you even take a first step into taking the ideas? Because I think most of the business owners have all these ideas, which is why they're an entrepreneur to begin with. So what is the crucial mindset and people that you need on board in order to even start down this path? Um, that, that's a good question. I'm not sure how to answer that question. So let, let me say this. So our general process is we'll come in and do kind of a kickoff meeting where it's really about understanding some of those ideas and getting those ideas on the table and then start to, again, go back to the audiences and start to manage what are the, what of these functionality or features gets assigned to who's going to be using what audiences, right? And that helps us start to determine where we can kind of focus things that add value. So where are the value points? What are the things that have to happen regardless? If we want to provide this feature to this user and it adds a lot of value to them, but these things are requirements we have to add to these other audiences. So we start to kind of make a matrix of of those features so that we can actually, so everybody's involved initially in kind of throwing out ideas and audiences and because they see you know, ultimately, you want the entire company represented, everybody that's you know, selling to these customers, people that are servicing, people that are providing you know, products or services. So all the way through, you really want feedback because they all have a little bit different view of that customer and what that customer needs and how you could add value to that customer. But once you do that, as you start to look now at the bigger picture of everybody involved in that and all the features and all the, the things you could combine to actually provide a real valuable product, it starts to become pretty obvious. And almost every session I've ever done, ever done, like a half hour in, we're like, okay, this seems to be the hot area that we need to focus on where, where there's something real that this organization has something to offer and the customer has a big need there. Well, what I find is really interesting is like a lot of entrepreneurs get really bored because they've built something up there sustained. But I mean, a lot of we like to solve problems, right? And this is the definition of solving problems within the own customer base and your own industry that you already know that well. So, I mean, if you build a sustainable business that is there, you should be able to have the free time to go talk to your customers and really know what the problems are. Like, hey, this you know prescription isn't filled in time and these are all the problems this is all the disconnect of all these different people like how do we solve that problem or the service is not integrated i mean like just think about the simple stuff of like the smart home you know they're like all these different things that are now colliding together someone's you're 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 competing with people that you never used to because the technology is enabling certain i mean amazon <laughs> yep <laughs> they're right. in grocery stores now i mean so the technology is running through this so i think the business owner should be able to get out there and explore this and i think what's interesting about your approach in the the minimal viable product and that whole business strategy first is there's not as much risk. You're not writing a five hundred thousand dollar check to develop a bunch of code that might not be viable. You're the you're on the forefront, being able to help understand what is actually the problem that we're trying to solve. Right. Well, that so my whole view of this, like, if I go talk to an investor and say I want to build a SaaS product, you know, if I can't identify a hundred million dollars in potential market in the next three to five years, they're going to laugh at me. But I think there's a huge, huge potential for existing businesses to develop niche SaaS solutions that, you know what, if I can, in this manufacturing example again, if we can get to $1 million in recurring revenue, that has a huge, huge impact on that business owner and that business and those customers. So it, it, we can develop things at a smaller scale. So from my perspective, I, my goal is how do we actually minimize the risk maximize the value and maximize the likelihood that this is successful. So 
I, I don't need the massive upside, but we need to be consistent in making sure that there is a market and that we've validated our ideas. Um, my, my little secret, I'll let you out. So if anybody's listening to this, that's actually we're working with. I what we start off with, like I said, we have this meeting and kind of go through a, a, a an idea um, assessment and concept assessment, and then business owners and from what I've experienced, they really like to go out and talk to their customers, especially if they're talking about something new. So you're right, if they're bored and want to think about new things, what I do is we kind of set up a plan and we'll do a weekly call after that for a few weeks to test some of the the ideas and questions that came out of that. So we have the research from customers to say yeah, I'd pay for that, or yes, I would need that, or no, here's how this works in our case. So it, it, you get them excited about doing that, and business owners love to go out and actually have those conversations with customers, and then that just feeds back into our our evaluation process of a product and a business model. And let's, let's talk about the importance of this and becoming technology-enabled as the next five to ten years happen, because you and I were rallying back and forth on a previous phone call about there's 4 million baby boomers that have businesses that are going to be going to market because it's like, again, if all of the people on your block decided to sell their house, if you're a buyer, you only have to buy the best ones. So explain how this integrates with that whole, you know, going back to your economics degree, right? <laughs> so explain, you know, just a little bit about your, your mission behind that. Well, yeah, I, I, my goal is that these businesses get sold for what they're worth because people have put a lot of time and money into developing something. But in most cases, a lot of cases, it's not worth what they think. So I think the first thing is to understand what your business is worth, because if you don't if you don't know that, you're really walking blind. And I think a lot of people that started companies started because they knew this and they wanted to do work for themselves, but really had no idea about the end game for them. And I, I think that's changed some today. You were right. We were talking about this before. And I think that has changed some today. But there's so many people that, yeah, I've run this. I started this company and ran it for 30 years. And what's going to happen in the next five years when you want to retire? I, I don't know. I don't you know. The kids don't want to take it over. I don't know what's going to happen. That's a that's a big problem. So I think it's one thing, like, even if you have a company that might be worth something today that, and, and you could sell it today, we're... It's one thing you need the valuation there, but you also need to be a player in the market to actually make that work. Because if I'm a buyer and I have 10 companies that do the same thing and I get to pick between them, I'm going to pick the best one, like you said, right? So if, if you're not in this market to actually you know, make sure this runs without you, make sure that you, you are, are, are scaling up, make, make sure that you're, you're, you're based on recurring revenue so the business continues to exist, if you're not thinking about those things now and you want to sell in three to five years, you're not going to be ready compared to the the other businesses in your industry. Because you're not going to be as competitive. Like if I'm a buyer and if I'm going to write a check for $2 million, I might finance 80% of it over 10 years. And am I going to want to go buy a service, whether it's HVAC, a garage door servicing, plumbing, or a, you know, a legal firm or a CPA firm, any of these firms, you know, I'm not going to pay more than two to four times because it's risky. Uh, is it risky? Are the customers going to leave? Are there other, like, I mean, there's, there's a guy that's creating an automated, uh, pay, well, it's got automated payroll and accounting and all this stuff. It, what is the sustainability of that firm? And even like the garage doors, like all that stuff, if I'm going to go in and buy a, a firm, what is it? What am I going to be able to take and then scale? So is it going to be archaic? I mean, I think it's like you said, if there's going to be 10 of these on the market, which one are you going to want and why? Right. 
And, and so that really gets in, like, you need to think like an investor is going to think five years from now. So what, why would they buy your business and who are your competitors for that they would be looking at to buy instead and why, and how can you stand out from there? So it, it really comes down to, you know, the built to sell AT drivers. Those are really, really good place to start from, I think. Um, but, but how do you build recurring revenue? How do you get yourself out of the business? And ultimately, even if you're not selling, those are good things to do anyway, because it gives you more flexibility, gives you more opportunity, lets you focus on more interesting things. If you're bored doing, you know, you build this company, now you just have to manage it. That There's a lot of people in that case, that situation that's like, hey, let's go work on something else or the next idea, whether it's software or something else. It just gives you a lot more flexibility. But You're, you're leveraging your industry experience too. It's not like you're going from, you know, HVAC to manage IT services or something. You know what I mean? Like you're right. you're leveraging and deepening your your industry knowledge and your customer base. And you know, for some kind of benchmarks for the for the listeners, how long is this? Because I think everybody's been through again, I'm going back to the horrible nightmares of software implementations. You know, from idea to the whole process to hey, you know, I hopefully have some revenue coming into this and I can see, you know, see the value because there's going to be that period of time before they actually capitalize on it in, in a sale or a transition. What is the, like, is it, you know, one year, is it five years that they should expect, you know, so that way if you're, you know, if they're going to go to go to market and sell in three years, is this something that they want to tackle or is it something that they should do, you know, focus their time and effort in some other places? Yeah, it, it varies a lot um, based on how big the project is and and what the value is. Um, but I, I think in a lot of cases that we look at, our goal is to go through the validation process and the idea and concept piece of this over the course of the first three months. We spend a lot of time on that, and we think it's really, really important to mitigate our risk and our, our client's risk. And then generally, it, you know, it's probably another three to six months to develop. Um, our goal is really to get like, hopefully you can start to get to some customers even if they're not fully paying for it, but at least you start to get users on board in another three months or so. Ultimately, in most of the cases of what we're developing, it's another six months before you're fully developed. And so then the question is, how long does it take to get into the market? Now, that varies a lot because what we really try to do, and the reason this this isn't just randomly coming up with a product, right? We're trying to leverage your existing customers to add more value to them, and you already have that relationship. So it really, really matters what we're selling and how connected that is to that same group of customers and how much you can leverage your existing relationships. So potentially that can, you know, hopefully you're starting to see revenue three months after that. I think realistically, it's another year out before you're really probably covering all the costs associated with this. But then, you know, after that, two years, you're really in a place where it should be self-sustainable and and growing. Is there is there a you know, when you're, when you're looking, cause you're exposed to all these businesses and all these industries, like I am, it, is there certain industries that you see that are just right for low hanging fruit to like solve specific problems? Or there's certain industries that are kind of behind. So people that are willing to make the effort that you're going to be able to probably see them come out the other side in a pretty good spot. I think there's a, it, so I've been asked that question a lot and I don't really see there being a specific industries that, that we target. I think there are, it's almost every industry I've I've been involved in has had some opportunity, some way to th- think differently about it and, and create a different approach that creates a huge amount of opportunity. So 
the the exception here's the one I cannot figure out a solution for is is real estate agents. And now there's tons and tons of tools out there. It's one of those markets where it's already pretty saturated. But uh, there's probably an opportunity we just haven't discussed. We haven't never dove, dove into it. But that's the one example that always scares me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to work on that one because it's such a saturated market. But in most of these cases, there is a niche opportunity. So even though it might be a saturated market, there's a niche opportunity to go after a very, very specific part of that industry. So we're, we're in conversations with you know, a few different transportation groups, and we're working on some logistics stuff. I think it's really interesting that one of these is is a very, very, very niche. They support trucking companies um, on the road. So they'll go out and service, like if they have a flat tire or engine problem or whatever, they'll go out and service them. Well, it's an interesting market and it's a very, very specialized thing. There's lots of logistic products out there that do this, but none of them fully meet their needs because of the the requirements of that specific type of business. It's not a trucking company. It's a little bit different, but most of those companies are using trucking software because it's similar to what they're doing. So if you can create a niche that actually just, it might be 10% different in order to actually solve exactly what's needed for that industry, you end up with something really, really valuable. And that applies to almost every industry. There's there's some kind of opportunity to do that. Well, it's it's the you know mining for inefficiencies. You know whether it's like I think you were working on, and I, I know you've got a bunch of confidentiality stuff, but it's like you know whether it's labeling and the process of you know you know handling of certain confidential goods, and you know the scanning and the transferring of information back and forth between people. Or I, I think there's just so much opportunity. I, the reason I'm di- diving into this is because I think it's the stories that people when they start juicing their creative. You you know, minds is that there's that stuff all over the place. So I think it's just really just looking at and looking for problems. Exactly. Looking for problems is it. So usually how we, we, we've had conversations where we'll just sit down with someone because they want to try to identify something and they don't have the ideas. We'll actually sit down and work with them and, and go through a, a session to try to pull out what some of those opportunities are. It takes a lot of research beyond that, but that's kind of the first step is starting to find those ideas of where do people have challenges? What what are the challenges? And a lot of times, just go go talk to people, go talk to your customers, find out what their challenges are if you don't know. And in the process of doing that, first you're going to build probably much better customer relations, but you're also going to have a lot of fun and learn a lot about your market and your industry and your customers um, in what actually where their where their struggles are and how you might be able to fix it. Yeah, and as we're wrapping up here, you know, when you you said you've talked to a lot of investors, you know, because you're working in the middle between you got, you know, bringing someone and creating the helping them create the value and solve the problems to potentially get them to an exit. What are the investors looking for? So when you're when they're saying like, here's what we want, here's how to guide them, here's how you know, what are some of the the trends that are common statements that these investors are looking for for potential ripe acquisitions that they want? Uh, they they all service a little bit different markets, so they they kind of have a size in mind, and um, a lot of them want kind of proof, right? So it's like what what is the definition of proof in this case that this is working? And then they want to know that you know you've gotten to X percentage of the market. How can they take it to the next percentage so they can grow this after they buy it? So having the that kind of planned out of you know we don't need to hit 100 percent of market of the market. We need to hit five percent, and they're going to take it to 20 percent, right? So it's 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 just the conversations of where are they at and what are they looking, how much are they looking to invest and what size do they want to get? Some, some, you know, say private equity groups want to spend $50 million on average and some want to spend five. So uh, you just need to be in the right place. And, and also the, 
the numbers are a little different in depending on what those are too, right? So a smaller market is probably going to be a smaller value valuation, but there's a lot more opportunity for changing that through um, how you structure it so it's super easy for them. So a lot of those, a $5 million buy can be a lot more complicated because it probably wasn't as well organized and didn't do a lot of the things that a $50 million company, $50 million company has done, right? So it's all kind of their perspective of how they're approaching this, but we work with them to kind of identify what their needs specifically are. And then we start to model what that go- those goals should be. And we share those goals with them and say, if if we do this, is is that what you'd like to see? And they'll come back and actually modify and say, no, well, you know, here's what we'd like to see in this time frame, this amount of market share, this valuation, this size. And that's what we shoot for then. I love it. It's building a solution with the end in mind, 100%. Exactly. You know, I I know you got to run here. As we've we've covered a lot of different things, is there one thing you want to highlight or one thing you want to leave our listeners with? I I think the most critical thing is you got to get started. Like whatever, you, you know, it might not be software. You need to figure out how to get yourself out of the business and how to actually get um, build recurring revenue. And there's a lot. There are other ways to do that. Um, this is the way we approach it. But I just you need to start because I'm passionate about small businesses being able to actually create something and creating something beyond the business owner is, I think, really important. So and some people don't care about that, but I think most people should because you're you're doing something that changes your family's life. You're changing your community it's just so important for people to think about the exit. And I think for a long time, that wasn't really something that people thought about much. It happened, but it, it wasn't necessarily the day-to-day goal of how to design your business. And I think that's becoming more of a thing, but people need to step up and actually make it part of their effort to figure out what they're going to do with it and how they're going to approach it. Well, now because of the technology and different people like yourself that are actually doing this, this stuff is actually possible now. It's not some big black box. So it's actually something that's practical and something that can actually implement. Well, if our listeners are intrigued or they want to follow you or what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, probably via email is probably the best, which is uh, maybe you can post on the site. It's Lauren, L-O-R-E-N, dot Horsager, H-O-R-S-A-G-E-R, at mcomposer.com. I love it. Lauren, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for sticking in there till the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Lauren. Uh, there, we talked about a lot and some of it got into the weeds, but I hope you saw there were some really big takeaways. One that I think is extremely important is knowing your industry, your company, your competition, and the value of your business, because then you can really calibrate and understand whether developing and getting into this software business is something that is worth the effort and is going to put you to the top of your game and in your industry, because the value that you get on the out set and when the exit actually happens is going to be worth it if you approach it the right way. And we all know that competition is coming from every single angle and from people and companies and competitors that we didn't see before. So I think it's something that we just need to do as owners to stay in the game and stay competitive. But we should also know that there's a carrot at the end of the stick because the value and the return on investment and time and energy is for sure there. And I think the big number two takeaway that I have is that this is not as daunting as it used to be. I've been a part of projects where we wrote a $100,000 check or $50,000 check and we got nothing 
We had a bunch of headaches. We had a bunch of developers that had no idea what we're trying to do and why. That this is a different mindset and a different project because we're creating value and we're not creating a cost center. It's not an. It's not something that we are told to do by our IT manager, our marketing manager. This is something that, as owners, we're being creative. We're talking to our customers. We're solving problems, and then we're going back and we're implementing a solution that enables our current infrastructure to go to the next level. And I think the third big takeaway and a practical piece of advice that I really enjoyed from Lauren was that this is not something where you're just diving right into development. You can get into this, you can think, you can go through the creative process with minimal investment, minimal time. And at the worst outset of this is you're going to know your customers better. You're going to understand exactly where your company and your services play within the mindset of the customer. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode with Lauren. I think the recurring revenue, the technology and the software world is really daunting and really confusing for a lot of people, but there's definitely some hope and there's a lot of practical ways that we can explore and implement it within our company. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you really liked it, go on iTunes, give it a rating. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.